How Are You Feeling is recorded and produced on the stolen land of the Gadigal and Bidjigal peoples. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. How are you Hello and welcome to How Are You Feeling, a show where we navigate pop culture, news, and politics through the lens of emotions. I am Lonel Wakina and I am celebrating the independence of my country, Papua New Guinea, today. Yay! Hooray, PNG! My name is Danny Stewart, and I have recently discovered frozen blueberries are amazing, which is not as great as PNG's independence, but if you haven't tried them, frozen blueberries. So good. And you can celebrate those year-round. So true. Anyway, Longo, let's get started. How are you feeling? What's making you anxious? Okay, so it is September now, which means that here in Australia, in the Southern Hemisphere, we're getting out of winter. But it means that people in the Northern Hemisphere are getting out of summer. That means really dry weather. That means really flammable weather. And I've been super anxious about the wildfires that have been plaguing the West Coast of North America. Mm. It's just been, I feel like for us here in Australia, just a huge kind of flashback to what we were dealing with at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that was, like, not that long ago at all. Yeah, it is, I don't know, I just remember on Facebook seeing a side-by-side of two photos of two kids just in a sky that's completely orange, and it's taken from two different places at two different times in the same year. I just think this is super distressing, and... According to The Guardian, as of the 15th of August to the 13th of September, at least 1.9 million hectares have been burned in the West Coast fires. So to contextualize this a little bit, it's kind of like the greater area of London in the UK. It's like a massive section of Mumbai in India. It's just a devastatingly large section of the U.S. is just burning and has burned. And to kind of draw a bit of a comparison, in Australia, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, 110 square kilometers of land was touched by all these wildfires so you know that's so much more than what's happening in america but it's really concerning because this is only the beginning it just seems like so much is still yet to happen it's really concerning because like here in australia entire towns have been leveled so many thousands of people have been evacuated And it's just... People have died as well, dozens of people. Yeah, dozens of people. There have 
either died in the fires or they've still not been recovered. They've been reported missing and, you know, it's just super devastating. It's massively impacting the states of California, Oregon, and Washington, but also other states on the west coast of the, you know, continental U.S., and I just think, I just think it's such a huge reminder to everyone that the climate crisis is an emergency, you know. Exactly. Like you said, this is just the beginning and this is going to be, is it going to be the norm every summer from now on? Oh, God. Yeah, I... I don't know. I remember it was normal for us to kind of go into wearing masks because we'd gotten used to it with the wildfires, you know. We got used to having such low air quality and then we started wearing them because of the virus. And I just feel like this is an extension of, like, not the wildfires specifically, but the kind of devastation that humanity is kind of struggling with is a reflection of the fact that everything that's happened so far has been preventable. Mm. You know? Yeah. Bring you back to the masks as well. I went to study abroad in India in January of last year and bought N92 masks to protect myself from the pollution if the pollution got really bad in Delhi. Yeah. And then I was using those masks again this bushfire season in Sydney, which yeah. I never thought would have happened, wearing a mask again for COVID. It's just such a wild turn of events that all link into how humans have destroyed our planet. <laughs> I think it's also worth kind of providing a little bit of commentary on what's essentially become a meme in that, oh, I'm so over 2020, bring 2021. You know, like the sentiment is just running rampant online. And I think that's a really misguided way to perceive what's happening because as we're seeing with the fires on the West Coast, this is going to have to be our new normal, you know? Like, the fact that you said, are we going to have to get used to this every summer is terrifying to think of, but it's an unfortunate reality that we still need to grapple with, you know? Like, so many people and communities are still reeling from the bushfires of the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020 on this continent. And our bushfire season is, you know, just over two months away from starting up again. It's really important to really take a step back and realize that this stuff isn't just happening in 2020, you know? It's not going to end on New Year's Day. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a chance that we're going to have another devastating bushfire season at the end of this year, which is genuinely filling me with a lot of terror. Obviously, we can't speculate on whether or not another virus will come out, but 
what we have seen with COVID-19 is the way our governments respond to crises. And as we've discussed on this podcast, they haven't been responding very well to them. I think it's worth realizing that we need to realize that everything's so intrinsically connected. Like we can't just postpone one disaster to focus on another. You know, we can't just be like, oh, we can't focus on climate change because we have to do with a pandemic. You know, we can't focus on climate change because we have to focus on wildfires on this part of the planet. So we can't talk about protesting and mining in another part of the planet. You know, it's all completely, you know, connected in a way that's quite terrifying to think of, but is really important when we're moving forward and trying to make the world a little bit better, I guess. But yeah, that's been making me super anxious because I was really lucky in that I didn't live near any places that were at risk of, you know, bushfires breaking out here in Sydney. Um, I was also lucky in that when the worst of it was happening in the ACT in New South Wales, I was overseas with my family. You know, I locked out in so many different ways, but at the same time, that's not the case for everyone, you know. Heaps of lives were ruined because of this wildfire. Even more lives were ruined because of this pandemic. And, you know, our wildfire season is coming up. This pandemic doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And there's just so much going on, both here and abroad, so yeah, I guess my anxiety is just climate anxiety as well this week. <laughs> what about you, Danny? What's been making you anxious? Um, well, this is a personal issue that I'm facing, but I hope I'm not the only person who has this feeling. Okay. Long. So after all this time, how long has it been? Like six months this pandemic has been going on. After only seeing close friends, my boyfriend and my family, I'm worried that I've forgotten how to socialize with other people. Oh my God, yes. And it's actually making me really anxious because I feel like my whole life I've had a touch of social anxiety. Like I have general anxiety, but you know, it kind of leans into the social side of things. And... The more I'm thinking about my recent interactions, I'm like, damn, have I lost that skill set? I had an interaction the other day with someone who I was meeting for the first time. We were chatting, small talk, whatever. He asked me some basic question and I just said too much, you know? I said, (laughs) I like revealed too much personal information. (laughs) to be relaying to someone I was literally just meeting. (laughs) Oh my god. How were you after that? Not good. (laughs) Also, this guy put his hand out to like shake my hand, which is another thing that's making me anxious is like, how do you deal with friends, with people you don't know, going in for a hug, going in for a handshake. Yeah, I honestly 
did not realize how anxious this made me until you just brought it up. Because today I went to see a film with a friend and I was like, hmm, I am not quite as good at this as I usually am. And this is a friend that I literally saw last week. You know, we talk quite regularly. And I guess because this is our first time hanging out one-on-one, on one, I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I I totally feel that. I feel like I'm okay with the one-on-one -on -one interactions with closer friends. It's more, yeah, meeting strangers, but also group interactions. Yeah. I forgot what it was like to be in a group which wasn't a Zoom meeting that I could just be like, oh, and like glitch around and leave. Um, or be like, oh, my internet is so bad. I've got to go. <laughs> Goodbye. You can't leave in real life. <laughs> Well, you can, but that leads to a lot more awkwardness. It does. I forgot what it's like to sit there and the conversation is something you're not interested in, but it's not like you're on Zoom and you can just look at something on your laptop and you're still there. If you pull out your phone and start scrolling through your phone when you're sitting in a group of people, that's really rude. Oh my god. This conversation is so enlightening because I'm just realizing that last week I hung out with a group of people and I feel like this was the first time we were all getting together and hanging out as just a group of humans in real life because there were so many moments when we were all just disoriented because on Zoom meetings, you can only make it work if one person is talking at a time. Mm. In real life, I completely forgot that people can have separate conversations in the same space. Yeah, and if you're sitting in the middle, that's the worst. You're like turning your head this way, that way. Like, I don't know which conversation I'm a part of. I hate this. I'd forgotten what all of this was like. And man, it's not fun. I should just stay home. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what I was thinking. Yeah, also um, being in crowded spaces again is not a vibe. Being on a crowded bus, a crowded train. Oh my god. I got on a bus yesterday and the bus driver just let an entire slew of high school boys onto the bus and didn't stop them all from getting on. So there were so many people that there were standing passengers. They have to let school students on. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's a rule. Oh my god. Well, this rule is probably going to give me COVID, so... <laughs> mm. Yeah, I just... I don't know what to do because I feel like those behaviors like the way that you interact with other people the way that you navigate being social and having conversations those alert behaviors and you, you learn them from observation right and like seeing what other people do and you say oh I should do yeah. that too it's been so long without observing other people and being part of a group in these kinds of situations that I've just, I've forgotten how it works. <laughs> I also feel like it's kind of a muscle. Like mm. it's a muscle that we need to constantly keep working out, you know? And Definitely. because we haven't 
been to the conversation gym in six months. You know, it's just a little strange for us. Yeah, maybe I just hate small talk, and I can't, yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> Oh, I'm very bad at small talk. It's like a thing. Like, we all can't do small talk. Um, I have a lot of friends who like to joke about how much I overshare in all of their memories of first meeting me. I feel like I'm doing that as well because I've, I've forgotten that you're not supposed to do that. Honestly, it's a fun time. I highly recommend it. If the person you're talking to then doesn't want to talk to you anymore because you revealed too much about yourself, then they're not even worth talking to anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, anyway, I'll uh, try to practice conversing a little bit more and see how I go with that. But let's let's move right along. Longall, what's making you angry? Oh my god. This episode is another very specific anger, and it's directed at my university, and even though I've avoided naming it in the past, I believe that they deserve to be named and shamed, because I woke up this morning, and as many of us do, I felt a little bit anxious but I didn't do what we should do, which was practice self-care and process those emotions. I went on to Twitter, and when I did go on to Twitter, I noticed that UNSW was trending. So I was like, oh, what does this mean? And then I saw that UNSW is cutting 256 jobs. Mind you, this is 3.8% of its workforce, mm. and... This is on top of already firing 493 people in July. Jeez. And I just want to make it clear, even though I'm putting UNSW on blast, this isn't a problem specific to this university. Unis all over the country have been struggling with staff cuts of this nature because they're trying to deal with a financial gap that has resulted in the pandemic and also as a result of said pandemic a lot of international students terminating their study here isn't that the reason they have these financial issues because all of these universities for so long have charged international students astronomical fees to study yeah. here and now they have to deal with not having that revenue yeah, that's absolutely it. And as someone who pays those astronomical <laughs> uni fees, I, you know, it's just devastating that they've put so many of their eggs in this one particular basket. You know, this is so distressing. This is 749 jobs in total that have been cut in two months. Mm. This is ridiculous. And like you said, it's part of a wider trend. Other universities all around the country, I've seen ANU, Curtin, yeah. Sydney Uni have all axed hundreds of staff. And there's definitely going to be more to come. Oh, yeah. Like ANU laid off 215 people as well. But I was just really struck by this move on UNSW's end because they'd already fired 500 people. 
and you know I had friends that were you know included in those job cuts and you know as we've mentioned before casual employment is all young people have sometimes yeah I remember becoming aware of how widespread casual employment and job insecurity was at UNSW firstly from tutors talking about it in class but also when I was thinking about doing honors when I was wrapping up my degree at UNSW because to do honors you need to find a permanent staff member to be your honors supervisor I was going back through all the tutors I'd had thinking, oh, like, who would I want to be my supervisor? And turned out the majority of them were casual staff. And throughout my whole degree, I had maybe three tutors who were permanent faculty. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. They put so much pressure on these workers they pay them so little um i've also read about how they have such a short amount of time to mark exams and essays yeah which is just very problematic especially for the humanities you know if it's something where it's all multiple choice or there's a very obvious right or wrong answer yeah whatever but it takes longer than a few minutes to mark an essay. I think it's really important to kind of zero in on the fact that you've raised a lot of points that are pertinent specifically to the arts and humanities. Mm. You know, like I'm studying science, so I would not have that issue if I wanted to do honors because there are just more scientists that are full-time employees at universities, whereas academics that work in the arts just aren't. They're not pumping money into the humanities. That's not where their interest is. At the end of the day, it's just not as profitable as the sciences because universities love pouring resources into research because that means that they have a greater chance of discovering things, of patenting things, of doing all of this stuff that earns them recognition and real financial benefit, you know? And I think this is just also a huge reflection on how little our government regards education because we've already talked about the massive increase in uni fees for arts degrees but we should also talk about the fact that university workers weren't included in JobKeeper. These are public institutions and I think it's worth discussing the fact that so many industries are suffering in this pandemic and the government is being very specific about the ones that they want to support through it. Yes, which segues very neatly into what is making me angry right now. Okay, Danny, let's hear it. What's making you angry? Okay, so in the last episode, we talked about how the government's COVID 
economic recovery plan is problematic because it benefits certain industries more than others and those tend to be male-dominated industries. Well, following Scott Morrison's speech this week, Uh, outlining how the government is going to prop up the dying gas industry, I think it's time for round two and we need to talk about why their plan is problematic as it will exacerbate the climate emergency. So the government has announced this plan, right, to get more gas into the economy. This plan will cost millions upon millions of dollars and they're basically trying to brand gas as the bridge between coal and renewables. But gas is still a fossil fuel. It's not a viable option. It doesn't make sense to replace one fossil fuel with another. They all just feed into the same climate crisis. So the whole thing is confusing. I mean, the government's energy and climate policies contradict each other, right? Because the climate policy says we have to reduce emissions according to our Paris agreements. And then the energy policy says we need to get more gas out of the ground. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense because gas equals pollution. Yet the government wants to see more gas extracted, more pipelines built, and more gas-fired power stations constructed. So why (laughs) is the question that comes to my mind when reading about this? Why would they be doing this? It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's really quite unbelievable. But then to understand why the government is so gassed up on gas, really, you just need to look at the political donations coming from the fossil fuel industry. Shock horror. I am so surprised. Right? Okay. <laughs> so according to The Guardian, in the 2018-19 election year, the Liberal and National parties received almost half a million dollars in political donations from companies with interests in gas. But also, I thought it was kind of weird that Labour hadn't said much about this gas-led recovery plan, at least at the time we're recording this. Well, 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 The Guardian also reported that the donation records submitted by major gas corporates and the industry's peak group, the Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association, show significant and relatively even contributions to Labour and the Coalition since 2010-11. I know this is an audio podcast, so I would like to convey that my expression is very pained. Ditto. I am... (laughs) I have no words. I'm so upset. It's so upsetting The influence that the fossil fuel companies have over both major political parties is so destroying to think about. And the scale of the industry's influence will never really be known because of flaws with the lobbying and donation laws. 
basically the donation laws, right? It allows parties more than a year to disclose any donations publicly and they can hide donations of less than $14,000. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't understand political donations. To me, it seems fundamentally undemocratic. Oh, absolutely. Right? And the result is this. The result is them handing over millions of dollars of public money to multinational fossil fuel companies, which will set back a safe climate future for decades to come. It's so upsetting. And of course, the plan includes fracking. The government's plan includes the use of public money to fast track fracking of the Beetaloo Basin in the Northern Territory. For years, traditional owners in the Beetaloo Basin have opposed fracking on their country because of the risk to their water, their land, and their culture. The government doesn't care about that. Oh my God. I just want to highlight one word you used that's so fitting to all of this, which is undemocratic. Because I'm just so unconvinced at this point that we live in a democracy. This just feels like an oligarchy, a corporate oligarchy. Oh my god, this episode is so depressing. It's dark. (laughs) They say that this will benefit everyone, but the reality is that we have the most expensive gas. We export the most gas and then we buy it back and we're sold that gas for a higher price than it's paid for in Asia. And Australians are amongst the world's worst consumers when it comes to carbon footprint. Yeah. And it's just because this country just has a really bad history of legislation and subsidizing the coal and the fossil fuel industries and oh my god this is just so disturbing specifically in the context of the wildfires this country is still healing from Mm -hmm. yep and it's so uh deeply ingrained as well what made me quite angry was seeing the way that this was reported on in a lot of mainstream media outlets because a lot of the articles I read which came out before the announcement they all read pretty much the same it seemed to me like that's probably because they all came from the same press release yes which would have been strategically dropped to select journalists in return for favorable coverage. So yeah, it was pretty upsetting just reading all of this content, which just spewed out the government's PR campaign with little analysis or critique. Yeah, a lot of opinion pieces have come out over the past day and some of them are quite scathing. So that's been good to see. But seeing that original reporting on it, And it was just article after article saying the same thing. Just thinking about how all these journalists had basically copy-pasted the press release. 
Oh, their loyalty. What more could these fossil fuel companies want? (laughs) Just the absolute lack of journalistic integrity. (laughs) Literally, in so many of these articles, there was no mention that gas is almost as polluting as coal, that fracking will destroy water systems and endanger wildlife. Just none of that. No analysis. It just makes me so angry because the government had a choice here. They could have used the recovery from COVID to lock in a clean energy future. Absolutely. But they've done the opposite. And I can't believe they would do this when, as you were saying, the bushfires happened so recently. And honestly... If the bushfires didn't change the policy framework, I don't know what will. I don't know how much more of the country needs to burn before they take the climate emergency seriously. Yeah, not to be a complete downer in this already depressing episode, but I honestly feel like these people in power would much rather watch the world burn with their pockets full than watch it thrive with their pockets empty. Yep. And that's just so devastating to me. It's so upsetting to see this corporate stranglehold on politics directly fueling climate change. Absolutely. And, you know, there's been so much anger in environmental justice circles because corporations have known that what's happening now was going to happen 60 years ago. You know, in the 1960s, studies were done saying, hey, You know, in a couple of decades, if we keep going on this trajectory, we're going to face really serious repercussions with massive climate changes in global climate, with huge shifts in environmental impact. And instead of heeding these warnings, they decided to pour so much of their resources into funding studies that said, actually, maybe not to create enough reasonable doubt to delay any action. And decades later, they're doing the exact same thing, Mm -hmm. you know? I don't understand. Other countries are investing in renewables. Other states are in Australia. Um, You know, we fast-tracked the COVID vaccine. So why can't we fast track renewables? It's like you were saying, we can't just push one crisis totally to the side yeah, and wait for it to pass while this other crisis is just, it's still there. Pretty soul crushing to think about. And I did not have a good time reading the news yeah. today. <laughs> was not fun. But anyway... Let's um let's talk about something more joyful. Yes, please. Longel, what is bringing you joy? So, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, it is PNG's 
It's not our anniversary. We did not get married 45 years ago. It's our Independence Day. So I thought I would like to highlight something that just made my heart sing about a week ago. And that was one of my Twitter friends. And I'm hoping she becomes a real-life friend because she's a personal hero of mine. Performer Wendy Mock, writer Wendy Mock, is a Papua New Guinean playwright who's followed me back on Twitter and made my dreams come true. But she also started a thread last week called hashtag PNG Women Matter. And this is what's bringing me joy this week. It is just so inspiring to see all of these women highlighted because of the work they're doing Mm -hmm. and the good they're doing for their community. And what I love so much about this thread, I highly recommend everyone go to at Wendy Mock on Twitter or at Relentlessly Wendy on Instagram or just search hashtag PNG Women Matter because this thread is so incredible and I'm so glad it's here for young Papua New Guinean girls to look at because this is a thread full of women from so many different areas, you know. One of my favorite is, you know, a socioeconomic advisor called Anita Mosby. She discovered a new species of frog and she had it named after her, which is my dream. Amazing. Oh, and I'm just so thrilled because I'm studying environmental science. And as I was going through this thread, I was just like, oh my God, so many other Papua New Guineans are doing incredible work when it comes to environmental science, when it comes to conservation. And oh my God, it was just incredible. There are so many people here that range from vets to mangrove scientists to athletes to academics and just women from so many different fields, women from so many different age groups and education levels. That's one thing I appreciate because education is, you know, something that not everyone has access to, but it's also an unfair barometer for success and intelligence, in my opinion. And I just love the fact that so many people that have worked so hard to improve their communities were being highlighted. And it was shared like so many times on Twitter, on Instagram. And the fact that I was seeing it everywhere just brought me so much joy. And, you know, shout out to the women of PNG this Independence Day. Yeah. So, why did it start? Did it start? for Independence Day? No, um, it started out of something that is quite unfortunate because there was a lot of policing that was going around in terms of women's bodies in Papua New Guinea. So the full text of the thread reads, there's been a lot of discourse on what PNG women should or shouldn't do with their bodies. So I quickly pulled together a thread of brilliant PNG women who are out in the world doing incredible things. PNG Twitter, feel free to add to this list. Hashtag PNG Women Matter. And, you know, so many people are adding their own personal idols and mentors to this list. That's incredible. Yeah, it's just been so good. It's been so good. 
Yeah, I feel like humanizing women and non-binary and trans folks is very important when it comes to addressing any forms of policing of women's bodies or gendered violence. Um, And it sounds like that's exactly what these posts do. So that sounds really amazing. Yeah, it was so great. Um, What about you, Danny? What's been bringing you joy? Okay, so I was going to talk about this video I saw of a seal farting, but... It was pretty funny. Just Google seal farting. You'll probably find it. But then I saw that Madonna is making a movie about herself. Oh, (laughs) my God. Which I just thought is so amazing. I love it so much because it's such a baller move. I can't think of another woman who has done this, like made their own biopic. I liked it when Elton John did it, you know, I thought it was a bit self-indulgent of him, but the costumes were great in that movie. Um, I really dug it. But yeah, I can't, I feel like it's something that mostly famous men do, is make their own biopic. <laughs> so I'm just like, yes, Madonna, you do this. I know Madonna has uh, run into some controversies of late, that COVID video in the bathtub it's whack what did she say she was like covid is the great equalizer oh my god i didn't even see that yeah it's bad because uh no madonna rich white people like you are far less likely to die (laughs) but anyway controversies aside it doesn't sound like her thoughts on covid will be featured in the film thank god Thank goodness. Yeah, Madonna has said that music will be the focus. She said that music has kept me going and art has kept me alive. There are so many untold and inspiring stories and who better to tell them than me? It's essential to share the roller coaster ride of my life with my voice and vision. That's kind of iconic. Yeah. I agree. And I see what she means by that. You know, I think having someone make a biopic about you after you're dead, I know that's like the norm. That's what most people do. But then you have no creative control over it. What if they tell your story wrong? Yeah, that's literally why this is what I want to do when I become famous. Um, I'm starting to say when and not if, because I would love to manifest this. (laughs) Um, And side note, when you told me this, I was just like, this is such a fire sign move. So as you were talking, I did a quick Google. And as I suspected, Madonna is a Leo. And I (laughs) cannot think of anything that is more Leo than wanting everyone to celebrate you, but in a way you control. Yeah, this is huge Leo energy. (laughs) Making your own biopic, like, amazing. So, Longall, I'm really excited to see your biopic, and I want to know who's going to be cast as you. 
Okay, well, I feel like I'm quite young now, and I also feel like I have inherited incredible genetics from my parents in that I believe I will have this face until I am at least 64 years old. So I feel like by then, which will be in 42 years, there'll be enough technology for me to play all the roles. I love that. That's amazing. And looking at photos of your dad that I've seen, yeah, I agree. You're going to look like that (laughs) probably forever. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was Father's Day the other day, and everyone was just like, that is not your dad. He looks (laughs) too young. And I was just like, this is unfair. Also, fun side note, I called my dad on Father's Day, and in the background... I have a PNG flag hanging next to a bisexual flag, and my parents don't know that I'm bisexual, so <laughs> it was a fun time explaining to them. Did they know the what the second flag, was? flag No, they didn't, but they asked me, and I was like, that's the bi flag, and they said, what's a bi flag? And I said, the bisexual flag, <laughs> and they said, oh... <laughs> Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you play yourself at all different stages of life. Thank you. That's going to be truly amazing. Oh my god, who would you want to play you? Um, maybe Kristen Stewart? I knew you were going to say that. I would do that 100%, not only so that you would have the pleasure of being played by Kristen Stewart, but that I would have the pleasure of acting (laughs) opposite Kristen Stewart. Yes, I think that would be, like, so good. She's so hot. Oh my god, yes. I feel like Twilight did such a disservice to both her and Robert Pattinson. Yeah, I feel like Robert Pattinson could play me as well. Honestly, he's very talented. I watched Tenet today, and I was very impressed with his performance. Hmm. Or maybe he was just so handsome, so I just didn't notice any bad acting. He is good-looking, especially when he sparkles. (laughs) Oh my god, okay, maybe we should wrap up. How are you feeling about Twilight, our new podcast coming soon? Just kidding. That is not that is not a thing. Yeah, Although it we, should be, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. If we get sponsors on this, who knows what possibilities lie ahead of us. Yeah, but thank you for listening. And make sure to check us out online. We're on Instagram and Twitter at H-A-Y-F-Pod. Also, make sure you tell your friends about our show if you like it and you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. Wink. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thanks so much. Goodbye. Bye. How Are You Feeling is hosted and produced by us, Danny Stewart and Longall Burkina. Editing and sound design is by Danny Stewart and artwork by Indiana Johns.